Good evening. Um, I think the bulletin says that uh, the sermon title, and bulletin is right, concerning compassion. And um, the text that we'll be looking at is from uh, Hosea, um, Hosea chapter 2, 1 to 3. So we continue our series that uh, I began uh, this time around. But like I said before, we did, uh, this is a series that I never completed. I began this uh, maybe more like 10 uh, more years ago and uh, never really completed this. And so this time when I was asked to help here with uh, preaching, I asked if I would be able to go through this series and actually complete it this time. So we are on chapter 2. Some of you may remember this. I don't know. There's some people who I think remember more the first sermon than any other thing. But uh, this is the the third, though, because we remember uh, in uh, Hosea chapter 1, we did it in two parts, setting up our understanding first of the marriage of the Holy Prophet and then working through this. With uh, chapter 2, there will probably be only one sermon for this one, unlike uh, chapter 1, two sermons for one. So even though we have, uh, we'll be reading Hosea chapter 2 itself, um, we'd like to keep in mind that uh, we have other texts that we want to read here this morning, uh, rather this evening. And that will be 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13 and Luke uh, chapter 11, uh, sorry, chapter 15, 11 through 32, and then uh, Hosea 2, 1 through 23. So let's get, let's get started with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, we'll be looking at it from the uh, New American Standard Bible. Uh, verse 1, starting from verse 1, we'll read the whole chapter 2. It's not very many verses there. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory but do not have love, it does me no good. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous, love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked, does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, They will cease if there is knowledge. It will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. 
When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. For now, faith, hope, and love remain these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then uh, we'll go on to Luke 15, <clears throat> 11 through 32. Again, New American Standard Version. And he said, uh, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth be between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began doing without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the cobble pots that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's higher laborers have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here from hunger. He will, I, will, I will set out and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So he set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robed put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let eat, let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine that was dead has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now this oldest son was in the field, uh, I'm sorry, now his oldest son uh, was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out, and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you, give me, uh, yet you never give me a young goat so that 
I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered a fattened calf for him. And, uh, and he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has become alive and was lost and has been found. And now we come to uh, uh, our text um, for today, though these are all related from the New Testament, but our text today is from the Old Testament. Uh, to the text we've read are all related to what we'll be preaching on today. So Hosea chapter 2, uh, 1 to 23. Say, uh, say to your brothers, Amin, and Amin, again from the New American Standard, Amin simply means my people. Say to your brother, Amin, my people. Say to your brother, my people. And to your sisters, Rahama, that is a, and to your sisters, she has obtained compassion. Rahama means she has contained, obtained compassion. Despite uh, dispute with uh, your mother, dispute, because she is not my wife and I am not her husband, but she has removed her infidelity from my face and her adultery from between her breasts. Otherwise, I'm sorry, but she must remove her infidelity from her face and her uh, adultery from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and expose her as on the day she was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like a desert land and put her to death with thirst. Also, I will take no pity on her children because they are children of infidelity. For your mother has committed prostitution. She has conceived them as... Uh, she, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil, and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will obstruct her way with thorns. I will build a stone wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. And she will pursue her lovers, but she will not reach them. And she will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, because it was better for me then than now. Yet she does not know that it was I myself who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain at harvest time, my new wine in, in its season. I will also take away my wool and my flax that I give to her, uh, that, that I give to cover her nakedness. So now and I will uncover her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers, and no one will rescue her from my hand. I will also put an end to all her joy, her, her feast, her new moons, 
for Sabbaths and all her festivals. And I will destroy her vine and fig trees, of which she said, they are my wages for prostitution, which my lovers have given me. And I will turn them into a forest, and the animals of the field will devour them. And I will punish her for the days of the Baal, when she used to offer sacrifices to them. And I and adorn herself with nose rings and nose ring and jewelry and follow her lovers so that she forget me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I'm going to pursue her, persuade her rather. Therefore, behold, I'm going to persuade her, bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Ankar, Achor, as a door of hope. And she will respond there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she went up from the land of Egypt. And it will come about in that, on that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, so that they will no longer be mentioned by their names. On that day, I will also make a covenant with them, with the animals of the field, the birds of the sky, and the crawling things of the ground. And I will eliminate the boar, the sword, and war from the land. And I will lie down and, and, let, and will let them lie down in safety. I will betroth you to, my, to me forever. Yes. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in favor and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. And it will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, to, new, to the new wine and to the oil and they will respond to Jezreel. And I will sow for her, and I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were, my, who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So this uh, brings us to the, uh, to the uh, conclusion of the reading of uh, Hosea chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 1 to 23. Um, uh, let us uh, pray before we get into the sermon itself. Holy Father, we come humbly before you this day and we ask for uh, your grace in uh, being able to proclaim your word here this evening to your people. We pray, God, that it uh, might accomplish the purpose for which you have uh, purposed it for and not come, not return back to you void. We ask you, O oh God, to give us the grace to be able to receive this word and to be looking for ways um, uh, to have it made applicable in our lives and every day as you have called us here to live. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So there we have it. Some sermon title, sermon 
is concerning compassion. The, uh, in terms of a little of introduction, it's a little different here today. We'll look at verse 1 of sorts. And, um, so verse 1 there say, says to your brother, I mean, of course, as I said before, my people, and to your sister, Rahama, Rahama uh, she has obtained mercy. This verse could be legitimately a continuation of the previous uh, chapter, being concluded as it does on the note of blessing and restoration. So if you look at the uh, previous chapter that we went through, uh, let's look at the last two verses, verse 10 and 11. Yet the, number of you, yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. And in the place where it is said to them, you are my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. And then uh, verse 11, and the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves one leader and they will go up from the land for the day of Jezreel will be great. So you can see, if you put that there at the end, say to your brothers, it looks like a nice little conclusion to that. However, the peculiar nature of this verse puts it also in the beginning of this chapter, which could legitimately be considered uh, part of this uh, second chapter, which is how the, uh, the ancient commentators divided it, uh, as a summons to the children of Israel to contend, all the children in general, to contend or plead with their mother now that she has followed through with her prostitution. In punishment, perhaps what we can see coming here, in punishment, mercy is here on offer. Redemption remains possible. This is a call, essentially you can look at it as a call to reflection and conversion. Then go and continue with this introduction. We mentioned that in our last uh, series of sermons that what we're dealing with here with uh, the Holy Prophet is an enacted parable. This is a real-life pageant of the marriage of the Holy Prophet Hosea to the harlot Goma, the daughter of Deplain, and it continues. One of the things we want to understand here about the reality of the prophet's marriage, and I think uh, most of uh, the reason why this is probably uh, considered here by myself and many other people who've read this thing is that martyrdom is not a masquerade. That is to say, it is not a pretense. And you get it coming from the prophet. The prophet himself will stare in shock by what is happening to him. He's not happy. This is not... This is not a game to him. It's, it's painful to him. His life, even his call. Uh, so he's stirred and shocked by what is happening to him uh, in these things in his life, even though he, uh, his call, he, he has this call to a peculiar calling, and they, uh, he feels the sorrow. It's almost as though you have a missionary call, and yet uh, you, you meet up with a whole lot of problems there. It, it's, not, it's not a pretense that you're dealing with these great, sor- great and sorrowful things. So the sorrow and compassion of his own personal life echoes the sorrow and compassion of God. So he's feeling, it's hard to understand. I mean, it's, I, think, I think what we ought to take from this is that this is also somehow disturbing to God, what is going on. We, it's, we, because of who God is, we don't want to 
impute a whole lot of human feelings there, but from uh, uh, the, the way the scripture is using this here, it is showing us that God is indeed troubled by these things. So the, the, the personal life of the prophet reflects and echoed the sorrow and compassion of God. The prophet felt in his own personal life the tragic disturbance of the relationship between God and Israel. So you almost want to say that this is, in some respect, in a way in which that exalted for us to understand. This is how God feels about this relationship, what has happened between his people and himself. Now we step into the text uh, more properly. So from verse uh, Gomer's holotry, that would be our second point, if you like. Gomer's holotry is an introduction to that point. I don't know whether I have it. That's one or two, except that that is the next point. Gomer's holotry, verses uh, 2 to 7. And we'll go verse by verse or close to that. So verse 2, Goma leaves, or better yet, she abandons her husband and children. She rejects the faithful love of Hosea and goes to pursue, to pursue vigorously and without shame her wretched career as a harlot. One of the scholars have said, idolatry is adultery more than objective falsehood. It is a betrayal of God more than stupidity. It is lewdness. Israel is like a wanton wife. For that matter, you can say a wanton spouse. The Lord like a faithful, loving, but forsaken husband. Like a faithful, loving, but forsaken spouse. This remains a call to Israel to remain faithful. So even this verse is still calling Israel to remain faithful. So verse 3, the prophet threatens Goma with exposure and punishment. The great cause of unfaithfulness is disgrace, dishonor, destitution, and death. And then verse 4, the prophet discovers that even before now, Goman had cheated on him. So that the fruit of their union is not really so but rather the end product of a prostitution, the children of a holiday, the great cause of unfaithfulness, again, the great cause of unfaithfulness is a curse that extends to succeeding generation. It doesn't stop only with her. It now goes on to her children also. Verse 5. It's been observed here that Goma may have been a woman of beauty and personal charm, maybe even great beauty and personal charm, but a very shallow woman. There's no depth to Goma. According to verse 5, Goma is attractive, attracted to her lovers, rather, to her many lovers, because of the superficial luxury item they can provide for her. That's what she wants. Superficial luxury items that they can provide for her. They must have been very painful 
to the prophet Hosea, since indeed he had loved Goma and shown to her that love in so many ways. He had done everything for Goma, but Goma has done everything wrong in her unfaithfulness. And what is most unfortunate, she has become committed to that erroneous path. She's taken that error as a matter of principle, committed to it. Again, one can see this coming true with uh, the c- comparison with God. Um, that's what this whole thing is about, this whole marriage that God had, uh, had such high view of his people, called them into a, a good relationship, and yet they are they're attracted to superficial things, material items. Verses 6 to 7, but the Lord will put, press down rather, but the Lord will press down hard on Goma. The Lord will make it difficult for her. He will not allow her easy access to her evil aspirations. He will bring to her hardship. He will bar her ways by building a wall around her and so cut off any access to her wretched career opportunities. He will close off any path to value creation. She will not be able to add to this and will offer her no route of escape. She will be imprisoned in her own error. But it's going to happen even worse than that. She will be abandoned, abandoned by her lovers. They have used her and have no further use for her. Her lovers will not be able to help her. He will begin to dry up her wages, making her enterprise increasingly less and less profitable. So that eventually her losses will be so great as to be painful to her. He will bring to her distress and tribulation and anguish. He will frustrate her plans so that, like the protocol, she will appreciate the severity of the loss of her present situation and the value of what she uh, had with her husband, with her first husband, the Holy Prophet. In some respect, at least in my life experiences of some of the people that I know, uh, to even get to the point where the severity of your uh, situation is appreciated like this is a manifestation of grace. So that the great medieval poet, Dante, he has people in hell still justifying their error. So that even that one would come to this understanding to appreciate the severity of one's uh, condition is a manifestation of grace. So then Deuteronomy says there, in Deuteronomy uh, 4.30, when you are in distress and all these things happen to you, in the latter days you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. And then uh, Isaiah, uh, Israel's rather, Israel's punishment, that's the next point, uh, verses uh, 3, uh, I'm sorry, 8 through 13. I want us to notice the, the, uh, the peculiar identification of the prophet's 
personal married life, as I've been saying over and over in this text, and the covenantal relationship between God and Israel. In the prophecy, it is often hard to tell where one begins and the other ends, which is what we've been mentioning. It's hard to know that difference. This is the prophet's life, and yet it reflects the relationship between God and Israel. They are, in fact, what has been presented here is that they are intertwined. The prophet lives not only his personal life, but also the life of God. Indeed, God is revealed both in the prophet's message and in his life as a kind of prefiguration of the life of our Lord Christ being the very revelation of God. So what we are saying here is that even as this prophet is living, the things that is happening to him and the way he's resolving this, this is telling us something deep and profound about God in the very way he lived. And that's how Jesus was. All of Jesus' life, the word, the word of God was not necessarily only an instruction here that you get here. It was an event. It was the the sort of living out of the reality of God in the everyday as we see in Jesus Christ. So verse 8, Hosea 2.8. Yet she does not know that it was I myself who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. See, looking at that, I'm saying that Israel is here guilty of the sin of ignorance because you can be guilty of the sin of ignorance because she purposefully was not willing to want to know. So I remember one time here with, uh, I read, I think Blackwood used to always say that the soul be without knowledge, from the King James Version, it is not good. And uh, he's saying that that, that's a, that's a text that says that uh, ignorance is a moral evil. And given where I come from, I, I remember I talked to him about that. I said, you know, there's a whole host of people. They, they don't know much things. They don't know the left hand from the right hand. And he said the kind of ignorance that is being spoken of there is a will for ignorance. Desire not to know. And that's where we are here with Israel. Do not All the revelation has been given. All of these things have been taught in the books of Moses. They have been great prophets until Hosea, but they are determined still not to know. So here is the sin of ignorance, guilty of purposefully not wanting to know. She is refusing to know better. Israel's, you can see rather, what what I call Israel's deep incomprehension, deep misunderstanding, uh, deep lack of knowledge in, in Hosea 5. When you look at Hosea 8 that we just read, Hosea 5, this is the ignorance that comes through in Hosea 5. For their mother has committed prostitution. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go, to, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Given, given all that we know about God, they got it all wrong. So the text, uh, the, 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 we, we, the, the scholars have concluded here, Israel in that com- statement 
has offended the majesty of God. She delusively attributes her sustenance and material prosperity to the Baals. Israel sins in that she is ignorant of the fact that Yahweh is the giver of all blessings. She does not remember the promise from Deuteronomy 7, uh, 13, and he will love you, bless you, and make you numerous. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your new wine, and your oiled, your newborn, uh, rather the newborn of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. Uh, Dr. Boyce, who I have used quite a bit on uh, this study, as I said before, he's not the only one that I've used, used Kylan Dillich also, and he comes up with a thought experiment here. The thing is to deal in with the, uh, the feelings of God, the, griefs, the grief of God, that God grieves for his forsaken people. Knowing what we know of Goma, this is his statement here. What would you do in a situation like this? If you or I, we, uh, I'm sorry, if it were you or I, we might give up. Of course. The way I sometimes say it, maybe we should just let them go follow their own thing. But God does not give up. He works to turn sorrow into joy and the tragedy of unfaithfulness into the triumph of love. And we'll go through this. You will see that, I mean, what, been, what God is doing here, it really shows us that uh, the love of God is mysterious. It's mysterious and it's incomprehensible. It's, we don't, we don't, we, the only thing we can do is celebrate it. It's really it's really too deep for us. The thought experiment of Goma and her many lovers continues. Does love act like that? Does love take valuable money and spend it on a worthless woman or worthless man? But this is indeed uh, but this indeed is God's way always towards us. We spurn God's love and squander God's resources, but still he loves us and provides for us. So you have to think about that, what is being said. I mean, I, I know for certain, I, I will not counsel anybody in this way. This is extraordinary. I, myself, my own money, I don't want to give it to foolish people. I feel it's not good investment. And yet in a mysterious way, because of God's, the mysteries of God's love, he is still coming after Israel. He is still coming after us, me and you. And then uh, Dr. Boyce uh, actually quotes again from... Uh, uh, his great teacher, a guy called Donald Gray Bauhaus. You probably wouldn't know about Donald Gray Bauhaus uh, because it's just an old time. You guys are all young people. But uh, uh, he says here, who can explain the sanity of true love? Love is of God, and it is infinite. 
Love is sovereign. Love is apart from reason. Love exists for its own reason. Love is not according to logic. Love is according to love. Thus, it was with Hosea, for he was playing the part that God has played with you all your life and with me. What is here on display, the love of God, is mysterious, incomprehensible, and very deep. How does one reconcile, again, the quotation continues, I'm going in and out for my own statement here, I'm not keeping you all straight on that, but this in and out. How does uh, one reconcile the tenderness, this is a quotation, the tenderness of divine love with the vehemence of divine punishment? Clearly, it is not a love that is exclusive, that ignores the wickedness of the beloved. See, that's the mysteries of God again. As this mystery of love runs so deep, equally deep, is a sense of justice. So the wickedness, he will not ignore the wickedness of the beloved, forgiving carelessly every fault. Here is a love grown bitter with the waywardness of man. The Lord is in love with Israel, but he also has a passionate love of right and a burning hatred of wrong. You go back and think about it, that God is love, that God is just, that God is love, that God is justice. The love of God is a pursuing faithful love. The love of God is a disciplining love. And so in verse 9, God will withdraw his blessings from Israel and leave her destitute, poor, naked, and ashamed. Israel is being willfully ignorant. She's sinning her ignorance and God will judge her. Verse 10, yet, I'm sorry, verse 10, not only will God withdraw his blessing from her, but he will expose her so that all might see her for who she really is. He will make her abhorrent to her lovers. As a biblical scholar, uh, rather, as the biblical scholar Hensenberg has written, whoever forsakes God for the world will be put to shame by God before the world itself, and that all the more the nearer it stood to him. So we who are, in fact, with greater knowledge of God, we will, we will be put to shame even more than those who did not know as much as we know being a part of the church. Verse 11, God will bring her guilty pleasures to an end. The Lord will silence her celebrations and festivities. He will take away her joy. He will take away her joy. Verse 12, the Lord will destroy the prosperity of Israel. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Lord will destroy the prosperity that Israel had foolishly taught were her wages from a prostitution. God will curse the work of her hand such that it will not be productive. Verse 13, and Israel will pay for all the time she spent wasting away after the worship of idols. One scholar has referred to this kind 
uh, to this, uh, uh, refer to this, what is happening in verse 13, what has been described when scholars refer to it as a kind of spiritual coquetry. God will punish Israel for her unfaithfulness. And then we come now to Israel's restoration, which is, uh, which is our uh, final uh, section. So it's actually turned out to be three, <laughs> introduction and three, and so this is the last one, Israel's restoration, verses uh, three to 20, uh, 14 to 23. Healing and reconciliation, uh, not harm and destruction, finally prevails. Healing and reconciliation, not harm and destruction, finally prevails. God's anger may be intense, but his compassion is most profound. So verse 14, God will yet not totally and finally abandon Israel, however, being rich in mercy. So he wouldn't abandon Israel because he is rich in mercy. And this is such a wonderful statement. It comes from the text. He will woo her back into his arms with sweet and persuasive words. Think of it as a lover, wooing the lover back into your arms with sweet and persuasive words. Verse 15, he will provide her with hope. The valley of Achor, uh, Achor means troubling, hence even the valley of troubling will be to Israel a symbol of hope. God will again lavish blessings on Israel. Verse 16, Israel will come into a right relationship with God, rightly calling God her husband. What you see developing there is a deep, real intimacy is being reestablished between God and his people. <clears throat> Verse 17, Israel will be purified. Israel will be faithful. Zechariah 13, uh, 2 there says, and it will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered, and I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirits from the land. And then verse 18, that Israel, the now favored one, the Lord will establish her in the enjoyment of undisturbed peace. She will no longer know the terror and the violence of war, Indeed, war itself will be extinguished. Covenant faithfulness has been restored. The reign of righteousness and peace founded upon the goodness and mercy of God. The, restora the restoration will be total and complete. And then verses uh, 19 and 20. Stronger than jealousy is God's longing, again, this is a quotation, stronger than jealousy is God's longing for reunion and his hope for Israel's return. End of quotation. It is a great grace for an unfaithful spouse to be taken back into fellowship. And I think people who do that, I think I've mentioned that some people have done that, some public figures have done that, and... Uh, and it's indeed a great grace. We are, we are all often shocked by that. God seeks a new relationship, a new betrothal, betrothal to Israel. 
And he brings, he brings gifts and diary for the bride, for the bride rather. I remember in Liberia one time a young man who had become a Christian, very vigorous, and he is now married to the young lady in Liberia. One of the, the difficult points as a Christian, he did not want to pay a diary. And uh, he was upset about that. And then we talk about it, and I said, go ahead and pay the diary. <laughs> don't make too much noise here. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to do this again. But uh, what, has been, what has been said here is that God brings a diary here for Israel. He brings a diary. And what is the diary? Diary for the bride. Righteousness, justice, kindness, and mercy. This new relationship is forever God's people will never again be alienated from him. The church stands forever. That's the promise here. So in some respect, this promise is applied to the New Testament church. And so uh, that's how we should think. That we will never, like what has happened to Israel, that will never again happen to us in this age of the New Testament, in this age of the church. Verses 21 and 22 Yet we have the personification of the whole world of men and of beasts and things praising God as a result of God having so a people of his own. An image of productivity, fruitfulness, and abundance is painted of God's mercy and love. God will hear the prayers of his people. Verse 23, our last verse. A people that was once Curse is now blessed. The Lord has turned the situation around by 180 degrees. He has reversed the curse and converted it into a blessing from decadence and decline, perhaps, not perhaps, definitely even death, into abundance and life and love and light. And this new people of God will include the Gentile race of humanity, even those once severed from the covenant will now be included in it, will now be a covenant people, which of course, that's a reference to why we are all here today. So we come now to a conclusion. In terms of our summary text uh, for this uh, passage, uh, it's uh, uh, verses 19, uh, 20, and 23. I will betroth you for myself. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in favor and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Verse 23, I will sow whore for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So we come now to application and uh, commitment. What, what will be our application and what will be our commitment? Hosea's uh, burden, for, uh, burden of his vocation is to reveal to us the astonishing fact of God's love for humanity, that the decisive motive behind God's strategy in history is love. The decisive motive of God's strategy in history is love. So at least for me, uh, this means that, and uh, if you read my book, you'll see it come through. I stated it in the beginning, is that that's the underlying basis for the research and the study that I do uh, 
of Liberia, of international development, the practice of architecture, my concern for my family, etc. That's really behind that, and I try to understand Liberia history based on that kind of thing. So it's a constant moving toward peace. How can we reconcile all the struggles that have brought about the destruction of the state? And go on another point is that a great uh, scholar said, a husband publicly betrayed by his wife is prevented by law and emotion from renewing his marital life with her. So by law and emotion, it just, it's not there. You don't do that. But God's love is greater than law and emotion. Close quote. If we would truly be of Christ, then it is our calling, our high calling, to manifest this depth of God's love in our interpersonal relationship. Family life, life of the church, how we deal with people, and it's not only in the congregation, but uh, the presbytery, the denomination, how we deal, even when we have to, even when justice needs to be a part of this. Know also that the New Testament, this is uh, another point of application, know also that the New Testament has revealed that God is love. The Bible says, and this is verse, this is John 16, 316 rather, is a very famous verse. I memorized it when I was in Liberia, and that's just a big verse within the Christian church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And based on all these things, I'm saying that let us pray for the U.S., for there to be a revival of the Christian faith amongst its people. Let us pray for Liberia, for God to, the kingdom of God to be entrenched, well-established there, and for Africa. Let us pray. Holy Father, we ask you to uh, hear this word here that has been preached. We pray that it, was, uh, that it glorify you and honor you. We ask, O oh God, that you know how weak we can be with these kinds of things, that all of our best efforts are like filthy rags. But coming, be, coming uh, before you, before your throne, uh, based on the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only way we can come, we ask you to allow that this word will prick our hearts and that you will work a great work of miracle within us concerning the mysterious depth of your love and how it is that we may be called to reveal that, not maybe, but are called to reveal that in our lives. We pray, God, uh, that all of our desires here in terms of our applications and more, not only from what has been said here, but other things that people have thought about that I have not been able to think about, I ask you to, to bless us, O oh God, that, uh, that indeed we'll be able to put these things uh, into practice in our lives, that you bless this word uh, to our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.